Today on I'll Have You Know. We just need to look at this as what is the market signaling now? What do the businesses need? What do the people need? And then stand in that gap and provide that that serve product or service. And that's kind of how JPOC has evolved. Jen Taylor Paquette says her career path before Rice Business was shaped by personal trauma in her family. She calls the program one of the best experiences of her life. Her work in nonprofit and with military families helped prepare her to help new business owners today. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking with Jen Taylor Paquette, Rice Business Executive MBA class of 2019, and you're joining us from San Antonio today. Thank you, Jen, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, first, it's hard to believe probably that it's been, what, three three years since you finished the program. I'm just a year ahead of me. And I'd just like to ask, what are you doing right now? What has life been like since leaving Rice Business? Well, um, like a lot of people um, after 2019, it seemed like, oh, we'll just go back. We graduated. Yay. You know, all the things. And then COVID hit. So I had already had started my business and was transitioning out of another foundation that I had helped establish. And then 2020 happens, you know, we move into um, a very hard time for the world. I kept my clients and I did not invoice them, which I, what I could not do this in a, another time. I'll be honest with you, but I felt like it was the right thing, even for my mental health to do it. <laughs> I did want to help them because I'm like, everybody's in the same situation. I always said, if I was in a position, I would continue on. And I did. And it paid off. Um, we're just now getting better, you know, getting our revenue up again. We're like, got an office lit. And, you know, again, and it's not as big, um, but it's perfect. You know, we get the team gets stuff done. So that's what happened after I graduated. I guess we're all in it, you know, so if I can do it, I'm going to do it. And I, I just, I knew I would be taken care of. I could, I will figure it out. So your company is the JPAC group. Can you tell us a little bit about what you specialize in? Yeah, it's evolved over time and we've added things, um, added some like verticals, I guess you would call it really what it, at first it was going to really just focus on PR, you know, digital media, but as time has evolved, what we have actually turned into, which we do have that, and we, we do that, we specialize in startups, small and small to medium, for-profits and non-profits. These people, they're really good at what they do, you know, like their craft, right? So they go off and they start a, they start a business or something happens. Generally, non-profits start most of the time because of some kind of sadness or tragedy, right? And they're passionate about it and there's emotion and what have you but they don't know about how to run a business. So what happens is, is they, they just think, okay, we just got to hire. We got to hire W2s. It's expensive to hire someone, especially if you want talent to grow, you know, your organization, they can't do that. So they never even get off the ground. So what I offer is it's really, it's outsourcing, but it's fractional workforce. And we come in and we can handle board meetings. We do all the policies, everything, all of it. And I have a network that I've worked with for 20 years of 
uh, these people that are vetted because unfortunately they've had to go through the fire with me. <laughs> but we're able to do that because we have talent here and we can spread the expense across. We're on retainer and we can do this until they hit a their milestone or we can keep going. It's helped these organizations, companies get to a place that they probably couldn't have gotten to otherwise because they're spending so much money on staff. They get a whole team for much less, right? Right, right. And the people here have, I don't know, 150 years together in the experience, right? So we that's what we specialize in. We have clients all the way from, uh, in, uh, like now I have a client that's an NFL he used to be a quarterback and now he's opening his own, he opened his own company and he's going to have a nonprofit together. That happens a lot, but we really want to manage burnout because the world is full of burnout. We're just working and working and working. You know, it's almost like a badge of honor. I've been in there 20 hours. Let me tell you, you know what that means? You don't know how to manage time or do your work. Okay. So we're going to come in and we're going to streamline. You shouldn't even be touching some of this stuff because it should be automated. That's how it is um, evolved. We definitely do PR and we definitely um, do um, events. To me, that's more a lot of, not PR so much, but um, the events and different things are more project management. These are one-off. Like that's a lot of times that's not going to be on retainer. So we do a lot of business development work um, for both for-profits and non-profits. And I would imagine if someone used your services, they are getting experience and expertise in in all the different disciplines that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise that's really what it is is i just i observed that over my oh my gosh i'm so old over my 30 years in business you know reduce the risk too, the liability to your company by not hiring a w-2 if you can there are times when it's time you know and it's the best option like there's a lot of positive in doing it and we're fine once they just, if it's time, we do complete turnover jacket. So we streamline them. We make them run tighter. Let's just say that. And then they make the decision if they want to keep us going, you know, and we decide if we have the bandwidth and we make sure the layer per hours we have that and what have you balancing those things like burnout. I, I talk about burnout a lot because I, I know a lot of people including myself, like I just, you know, there is a burnout, you know, you're, you're, you're not effective anymore. After a certain point, you have to take care of yourself. Very, it's very prevalent. Yes. I mean, and people that really have high work ethic, they're high risk for it. It's not a badge. It's actually, you know what, you're a risk to the team. Me, that's how I am. I'm like, just keep going, keep you're not even doing anything at some point, you know, because it's time to slow down a little bit. So those type of things, those softer things, the soft side of it, we focus on that too. So take me back to uh, when you decided to go to Rice Business and, and what that journey and, uh, and decision-making was like. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I had a master's, but I'm like, I'm sure I have to, I need to pursue, you know, I want to get an MBA. It was one of the best experiences and it was so, it was hard because most of us all work at the same time, but it was hard in a sense that you're growing in your understanding and you're learning from these people that are super, they're super great 
professors, meaning that they know how to teach. Not everybody that is a professor can teach. You know, you spend time with people. You get into arguments with people. And then you're like, sorry, I was just really tired. I shouldn't have acted like an idiot. You know, so they become your family. Right, right. And um, I'll be honest with you. I've never been so, like, that proud of anything like I am at Bryce since, I don't know, way back, Arizona State. But Rice is something that is one of the best things I've ever done for myself. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on this podcast. I will say it anytime. You get out of what you're comfortable in and you start moving again. And it actually helped me, not just academics, but just the interactions were a learning experience too. Absolutely. Their their experience and their ability to teach and uh, make you think, force you to think. Yeah, to really think. And then you're in your groups too. And I'm thinking, why did I get in here? Look at these people are so intelligent. I'm sitting next to a, a neurosurgeon. I'm like, what? What I noticed too, I'll be honest with you, is that people were humble. Harvey happened right when we started Hurricane Harvey. But everybody just kind of locked arms and that set the tone for our class. And I'm sure other classes are the same. So it's just good. It was great. I think um, humble and also um, I thought everyone was so supportive of one another. Like you need something? Okay. Yes. And I, I don't know that I expected that. You know, like just a great group of people that they put together. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about your your career path. You've worked in a lot of different areas, uh, but you said there really was a, a moment in your personal life that that sort of contributed to that. Can you take us back to that and and how it's shaped you and your path? Yeah, um, and my husband. He um, after nine eleven, we actually both worked at Intel at the time, and after nine eleven, he decided to enlist and go through what is called the 18 X-ray program. It's a special program that you walk off the street, very, very difficult to become a special forces soldier. And he even went even more like he's just, he became an 18 Delta, which is a medic, a, a special forces medic or Green Beret, right? To most people don't, they think special forces, it includes SEALs and Rangers, that's special operations forces, that's the umbrella. There's only one special forces, and that's the Green Berets. During a deployment, he ended up getting hit by a IED um, and ended up losing both. He don't even like to say losing. Um, gave both of his legs above the knees. And before, you know, I worked in corporate America. And then during this process, a year at Walter Reed, of course, my family came and stayed with my kids because we were in New Mexico. We didn't live near Walter Reed, okay? Oh, and we had a an apartment at Fort Bragg, near Fort Bragg, but um, it was rough. So I'm thinking, okay, let's get the family back together. We head back to New Mexico. Well, in this process, uh, one of the leadership at Special Operations Command tapped me to um, help start a new program for Special Operations Forces to support the wounded and their families. And I did that. And I was like, wow, I guess I didn't uh, act too inappropriate at Walter Reed. Through that process too, I found out that Green Berets, Special Forces, they don't have as much support 
because they're a tier two, I believe now, um, unit, meaning they it's just a different mission, right? Tier one are like Rangers, Delta Force SEALs. They go in, they have to be on the ground and I, I might be wrong, but they have to be ready to go in 12 hours anywhere in the world. And Green Berets have longer missions. They're, I always say they're like, they set up hospitals. They, you know, do things like that. They do dental for the the locals, you know, those type of things. So um, there wasn't a lot of support, but they were have they were experiencing the most casualties, the most killed in action, the most hurt, injured um, in special operations forces. So I was like, where's a Green Beret organization? There's a Navy SEAL Foundation, which is awesome, and all these foundations, but where's the Green Berets? You know, and so. Somehow, I became part of the founding team to start the Green Beret Foundation, which, by the way, is all an all-male unit. So it was a good experience. I met the, some of the best people in my life during that. I learned a lot about business, honestly, strangely. Um, been all over the country, raising money and from with ambassadors, senators, you name it, doing things that I never thought about that would be in my business and my professional life, um, raised, um, I don't know, between 12 and 15 million. And it was a great experience. It was one of the harder things because nobody's coming to the Green Beret Foundation because they're, it's a good time. Right, right. You know, these are dark things, it's hard stuff. And it's not just injuries, it's, it's things like PTSD, but TBI, you know, addiction, there's all kinds of things that go along with those things that are bad. And so that's how I ended up in the nonprofit arena and during that time we had a, what is called a transition program and a lot of these guys want to start businesses and what have you so I would help them with different aspects of it and so we started several and I I can't even count how many but also my husband has a couple businesses one with augmented intelligence and then another one is just it's called med training group he's he specializes in emergency medicine but we help fire departments, police departments with emergency kits, like, and training. Mm -hmm. So that's more like part of our, like our, just our kind of like our mission, our personal mission is to help, you know, where we can on that stuff. Um, but then, you know, during that time, I got exposed to all these other types of businesses from New York. I was in New York more than I was in, in Texas. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a fact. D.C., Tampa. Yeah, Colorado, but California. So I met a lot of people that had started businesses that were going, well, I'm way out of my league, you know? But I learned a lot from them, and I ended up starting my own firm. And a lot of it has evolved because of COVID and different things, and businesses change. And I'm not even going to focus on the negative. I can't. We just need to look at this as... What is the market signaling now? What do, what do the businesses need? What do the people need? And then stand in that gap and provide that, that sort of product or service. And that's kind of how JPOC has evolved. And I actually thrive more when I see others doing, like, doing what they want to do. You know, your dream. This is your dream. I get to be part of that behind the scenes. I get a personal satisfaction knowing that they are doing what they want to do. And I had a, a small part. And the whole team's like that. A lot of the 
the team that was at Green Beret Foundation, GBF, have come with me over time. You know, at first they, you know, some left and then over time they came with me. So I still have this great team that has a heart for serving. And we just found a different way to do it now. We're still in those circles. We still do work with special operations forces and the nonprofits and what have you. But I just made a set a goal that I need to get outside of that small world because there's so much that I can learn that I have cut myself off to because you're just in your own echo chamber, right? You know, I can offer, but I noticed I did have to take a cool down period though, because I'm not talking to Green Berets all the time. How do you think your nonprofit experience maybe uniquely positions you to work with business owners because your your perspective is going to be a little different. And maybe some people might say, well, nonprofit versus a, a for-profit business is, is so different, but you had to have some learnings from that, that you think about all the time that you're able to apply. Yeah. Of course there's differences in nonprofits and businesses. So if you have your LLC or whatever, you don't have a board. There's those things. Nonprofits are hard. They're great. You're getting, you know, they're always limited resources. Like, and people are always wanting, wanting, and you're trying to do it. It's really like hard not to get pulled into that. What I learned is there's commonalities that have to be addressed in both. Okay. Um, I focus on efficiencies and effectiveness being um, in all operations. It doesn't matter. There's still businesses, both of them. And you're going to have more resources. Stop burning through that stuff, nonprofit or even small business. If you do things, why are you moving? Like every movement, you know, my background is supply chain management, industrial engineering. Okay. I, I always, that's the only reason probably besides my husband's story to raise money, but that's why the systems at the GBF and even other organizations that I consult for hundreds, they, um, I'm like, why do you do it? Why are you moving your hand even? You know, like, why? <laughs> you get paid $100,000 a year. Why are you doing it? I don't know. It's like what that movie, The Office or Office Space. He's like, well, I take the paper off the facts and I take it to the engineers. Why? <laughs> you know, I think we mostly we specialize in reducing risk, compliance, um, making sure like we, we do everything that you don't need to do in-house, like outsource the core competencies of your operations and your development, meaning anything with, that has to do with, you know, in a nonprofit development stuff, like digital media, any of that stuff, messaging, any of it and go do what you do. You are out facing, don't, you shouldn't be in it. And um, it, it can go even to like, oh, the board secretary, you know, setting up board meeting, board reports and stuff. Why are you doing it? Well, I'm the secretary. You're the secretary and you need to make sure it gets done appropriately. Okay. Do you want to take those meeting minutes for the 1200th time? And then you wait until the last minute because you have a full-time job. So nonprofit is a business. Obviously for-profit is a business and you efficiencies in it which I'm referring to when I say efficiencies, using money wisely, especially in a nonprofit, it's not your money. You owe it to the public to do that. And then effectiveness, meaning 
productivity levels, like your utilization or whatever, you know, I don't want to get too mechanical about it, but why are you doing it? And I think uh, sometimes just going in and, you know, asking, why are you doing that? Because, and, and the answer might be, well, I don't know, because that's the way it's always been done, or that's how I was trained to do it. I'm going to make some recommendations. You can take them or not. I don't tell people what to do, even with my coaching and what have you. I'm just, I ask why and say, have you thought about these things? And, you know, of course there's formalities of reports and different things like that. And two, um, what we try to do is give people grace too. They're doing, they're, people generally don't want to do a bad job. Give people a little grace. We need more grace in this world. So that's the way we approach it. Um, our culture, we generally, um, when we take on clients, it's, we need to be aligned with the mission. Okay, let's just say you're not for, I don't know, you don't, it's a foundation that supports abortion or whatever. Okay, I'm just giving an example. If you don't believe in that, you know, that mission, you aren't going to do your best for them. Right, right. And we owe it to our potential clients. We, I always say, we're dating. Okay, we're going to date. You don't have to pay me anything. We're going to date for a little bit. You know, it's an interview for both sides. And people don't see that. They get desperate. And I understand why. You know, you need clients or what have you. And you need revenue streams. You work with a lot of startups and new businesses. We've heard all about the great resignation and how many, you know, LLCs were formed during COVID. What's your perspective on all that, given your experience? Well, um, I guess I would think, well, maybe people are pursuing their dreams now. Maybe they've always wanted to, you know, and it's time. Honestly, who tells us? Like, um, I'm thinking about, right, the MBA program. You've got to disrupt that market. You know, like it's time to shake it up, disrupt it. And what more of a disruption is that situation and start really identifying gaps that can be filled, like true, uh, you know, needs in the market. Like the, what is the market signaling to us, you know, out of this? Things did change. Right. You know, so I guess I do think people probably just there are always people that are just doing it because they're like, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to do it. Those people might actually end up being successful too. They may have, if they didn't go through that, they may have never you know, pursued that and never do what they want to do. But um, I think it's, it's great if it's, it's real, you know, it will be interesting to see if I guess the pace of new business and people doing their own thing continues, you know, are we, are we at the beginning of some kind of, you know, entrepreneurial age or something like that? Or, you know, will this be a blip where two to three years, you know, because of the pandemic, ho hoping that we're, you know, brighter days are ahead with the pandemic, um, that that was kind of a, a phase where a lot of people made that jump. And then, you know, in time, maybe as many people may not take that risk. And also, like, what what types of folks were actually doing this? Like, oh, I got to get Randy back. So we got to get some variables and some... You know, like, let's do some <laughs> statistics. Um, but understanding, like, okay, there say there was a 5 million, whatever, for these folks that were about to do it anyway. Right, right. Or are they, you know, or do they have college educations? Do they have trades? Do they have, you know, like, or were they just bored or whatever, you know? Right. 
people desperate. Like people get desperate in those situations because there was a lot of lost jobs. Yes. You know, and they might get into something that they, uh, well, I know I have. I'm like, what in the world? I never knew I was getting into this. What did I get myself into? How many people actually quit or resigned or or were forced out, lost their job? And then, uh, like you said, you know, when sometimes if you have no other option, it's like, well, I've been wanting to start my own business. I, I've got to make some money and do it, you know, do it now. So it would be interesting to understand, you know, the data behind it eventually. I'm I, We're going to have to like ride this wave out a little bit, but to really understand it and have a good sample. And now that you look back at your rice experience and you know, maybe when you, what you started the fall of what, 2017, is that right? Yeah, yes. What, what would you tell yourself, your, your 2017 self now after uh, going through the program, you know, having these experiences, going, going through a pandemic? Um, I would try to cut myself some slack. I was a person that sat in the back and tried not to get called on. I don't need anybody knowing that I'm ignorant. I can do that on my own. I don't need to be like raising my hand all the time. And I sat in the same chair. I'm a very habitual person, okay? I eat the same thing every day. Um, there it was sugar bacon. But um, <laughs> I think I I would say give myself some grace, actually. We we're just talking about grace. Just give, just let up a little bit on yourself, you know? Um, everybody's in it. We're all going through this together. Um, it's different than everybody's in. It's your job every day, right? So it's... Some things come easier for folks and then other, they go into something else and it's a hard class, you know, people are melting down in statistics. So I, you know, it's funny you said, um, you know, take it a little bit lighter because I, I talked to some people when I was first starting the program who had, who had left the program and they were kind of saying the same thing, like it's, you know, it's the network and have some fun, but you know, when you've got homework to do, when you've got to get it done, you know, you, you've got to get it done. But I think. Um, I think maybe I would tell myself, um, go with what, um, go with what you know and what your experiences are and be okay with that. Because people will learn from that. Yes. Don't try to compare yourself to someone who has had a totally different experience going into the program. Um, you know, I, I've never been an accountant. I've never, I had never really worked at a corporate, you know, a corporate type role. So it was, um, very different. Even even just um, some terminology that anyone who's worked in a corporate uh, position would know. It was it was foreign to me. Maybe just focus more on what I thought were my weaknesses were actually my strengths. Yeah, actually, yes, that is, and that, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, and I'll tell you what, like to just kind of go off a dovetail on that is that I like people were asking questions. I wouldn't do it because I'm like, I just don't know. I had this whole thing that I didn't want to reveal how stupid I am. And then later I'm thinking, it's not like I can hide it. You know, if I, you know, I'm just sitting back here, but I actually admired them for doing it. Like just being straight. And also I was thinking, God, they did it because I didn't want it. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, it was, I like that. And that's the way it should be in, a, especially in a learning environment like that. It was the best thing I've done for myself. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up on that note. Thank you. And Taylor Paquette, we want to thank you for joining us. Rice Business Executive Class of 2019. Good luck with your business. We look forward to hearing more stories about your growth and what you're doing after Rice. 
Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it and let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, David Drugliever, and Christine Dobbin.